Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. everybody. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Milzoff, senior editor at Billboard and musical theater expert here. So I'm an all around musical theater fan. I go into all shows that I see open minded. Uh, but like so many people, I'm always especially excited to see a show that is truly original, both in its story and in its music. I think as with any kind of music, it's exciting to hear creators who are experimenting and trying something new. And in these cases, even if the final product isn't totally perfect, we maybe appreciate the effort on a different level. Recently, I saw a new show that was extremely well done and in a circumstance that's really all too rare these days, left me thinking and kind of absorbing what it had to say long after I left the theater. It's called Miss You Like Hell, and it's playing at the Public Theater in New York City right now. 
For those of you who don't know, uh, The Public is technically off-Broadway, but it's known for having incubated some of the most exciting modern musicals that have gone to Broadway, from A Chorus Line and Hair to, more recently, Hamilton. So if I see a new musical is happening there, I know there's a pretty good chance that it's going to be great. Miss You Like Hell was written by the playwright Chiara Alegria Judes, who is known for having written the book for Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights, and the singer-songwriter Aaron McKeown. Uh, I'll let the stars of the show who visited the podcast describe its plot in more detail, but I'll just say for now that on one level, it's a road trip story about a mother and a daughter, but on another, it deals with some pretty serious issues in the country today, from mental illness to immigration. McKeown's score, the inventive choreography, and the refreshingly diverse cast all really give it a pleasantly informal feel. Sometimes it feels a bit like being at a rock concert. At other times, you feel like these characters are just sort of calmly confiding their feelings uh, to you, not necessarily theatrically breaking out into song in a random fashion, as so often happens in Broadway musicals. Uh, Though she wasn't in New York, McKeown called into the podcast recently to talk about uh, writing the music and what makes the show so unique and inspiring to work on. My two live guests are the stars of the show, Giselle Jimenez, who I really think has a sort of breakout star is born kind of moment uh, as uh, the daughter, Olivia, and Daphne Rubin Vega, who plays her quasi estranged mother, Beatriz. Uh, Ruben Vega is, of course, known to any musical theater fan as the original Mimi from Rent, and I can assure everyone she still sounds amazing. Uh, and as a little sidebar, uh, you'll hear in our conversation a random moment when she realizes we've met before, uh, which was uh, a few years ago. I wrote an oral history of Rent, um, for which I interviewed her. But I digress. Here is my chat with Erin, Giselle, and Daphne about Miss You Like Hell. Mothers will bring you midnight snacks. Mothers will teach you where you're from. Mothers will love you where you're at. Tolerate the combat wounds. Help you walk in heels. Mothers get your first tattoo. Estas loca? Just to start off, I was curious to hear from each of you kind of what, how you would describe the story and what the story to you is about. Um, <laughs> I'll go. We're all staring at Giselle. Yeah. So, um, for me, this is a mother-daughter relationship, um, trying to rekindle their relationship because four years ago they had separated, and within those four years, um, Olivia falls into a deep depression. Uh, she considers suicide. She develops an online blog. Uh, www.callingallcastaways.tumblr.com and she reaches out to the internet world uh, for help and um, she encounters uh, a character named Pearl and she becomes a friend of hers and Pearl helps her out through the story. We also, um, oh the mother presents this road trip and she agrees to go on and in that journey, in that road trip, we meet different people. And through these different people that we meet, Olivia learns more and more about who she is, um, who she can be, um, perspectives that she used to have about her mother start to change. 
in a good way for the better. Um, yeah, and even though we, we talk about deportation and we talk about immigration, um, I feel strongly that this is about a relationship, a family story. Yeah, what about you? I agree. It's a it's a mom da- daughter relationship story. I think the powerful aspect to me is that these women have a certain courage to change the way they're thinking, and I think that it's the catalyst is pain, <laughs> of course, um, and how we're capable of of changing through very painful situations and. Um, and growing, growing very powerfully when we stop, I guess maybe, I want to say denying a certain aspect of ourselves. Yeah. When we, de- you know, when we, we, we can, we lean into that which we're trying to run away from so desperately, we change and we change for the better usually. Yeah. And realizing how strong we really are when yeah. we don't feel like we are strong. The yeah. strength of women mm-hmm. and how intelligent women are, are and can be. That you never hear that in a story. It's seldom that you see that in a in a, in a story. And I have to say that I I think it's pretty amazing that this is a story that really is about female friendship and is led by a female director and female composers and female playwright. Like that's pretty. It shouldn't be so uncommon, but it is pretty cool that happening yeah I would I would go so far as to say it's about female love Mm -hmm. like full stop yeah (laughs) and the fact that it's driven by two Latina women is really not only a great um, privilege and honor for me and but it's not common it's extremely rare totally Erin how are you doing over there I mean, I, I what what these um, ladies said is beautiful, and the only thing I would add is that um, I, I think it's important to say that it takes place in America. You know? Um, <laughs> oh yeah, that's know, right. <laughs> that that it's like <laughs> that it's like um, it's not just a mother daughter story. It's not just um, this uh, picture of these two fierce, intelligent, uh, complicated women, but it's them interacting with America. And being acted upon by America, and um, and that is you know both represented by the audience that fills the seats, but also by our beautiful ensemble that um, sort of stands in for the audience in places. Mm-hmm. And and the ensemble that like looks like real people, by mm-hmm. the way, which is like there are old people, young people, large it's people, so small funny. people. people keep, it's great. Yeah, people keep remarking on this. Both both. I know. The, um, both the way our ensemble looks, um, and also the the fact that you know three women and one man, Danny Mefford, made this, um, and I, I, to me, it's it's actually like this is what my life look, just looks like. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like I yeah. I have actually like always worked with women, um, and I have been fortunate enough to you know have like all kinds of different collaborators from different backgrounds and. Um, in all different ways you want to slice the word diversity. Um, so it's actually not unusual to me, and I guess I forget that it, it can be remarkable to other people. Completely. Yeah. So, here, here. <laughs> so is this, I mean, this seems like a story that for, for all of you might not be so hard to relate to in some personal way, and certainly Daphne and Giselle, your performances are like so down to earth and believable as 
kooky mom and like totally fed up daughter. <laughs> like the range of facial expressions that Giselle makes throughout the show are pretty priceless. Um, but like, I was just curious, like, what was your kind of personal way into these characters? And and Erin too, what was really the the kind of key way into you know getting into the show for you as a creator too? Well, I'll, I'll just speak quickly just because you can't see me. <laughs> and I'll get out of the way. And neither um, can anyone else, really. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's what this is truly. No one can see us eventually. Um, I, I would just say that, um, you know, uh, I I got a mom. Everyone's got a mom. Um, there's, you know, that's that's one way in. Um, I, <laughs> it's kind of, the, to, to me, it's kind of the only way in. Um, and then the rest oh. of the stuff just comes with it but um in the in the ways that um this story is superficially not not mine i do feel really proud to be of service to it and um to use what skills i i have to help tell the story of people that maybe superficially do not seem like it's my story though i very much have a have a way in as well Mm -hmm. you made the story you collaborated you co-wrote this you it wouldn't exist without you, but um, I guess, yeah, they created a vehicle, and I did a workshop four years ago, and I I felt like I'm all in. I just, there was something about this character that, because I lost my mom kind of early, um, I wanted to pay homage to my mother and all the strengths that, I remember in her, um, yeah, and sort of take the best out of out of powerful women. Like, what would I do if I were a powerful woman? <laughs> you know, it's a wonderful um, sort of meditation. And I was I was struck too, having spoken to you once before. Uh, you know, like. Do you now remember? I have to say, as you began to speak, I was like, oh my God, I never remember that guy. I'm a real person. No, but like, it's just like, no, you weren't not real before. It was just like, like uh, your face just became completely recognizable in your voice and just... I'm so glad. Yes. Hello. I feel feel so much better now. It's been years. Don't feel bad. I'm so sorry. I feel like when you're you're a journalist, your life is like one long string of like remember me and talked once and then being like no no you talk to a lot of people <laughs> no but like yeah I do but still. we did talk for a pretty long yes, time um but and I and I remember you you talked a lot about you you had a very sort of bohemian New York upbringing yes. and you were kind of in that New York New York poets cafe kind of scene and I like and I saw some parallels there with uh, your character in the show in terms oh, wow. of the kind of world she comes from. I didn't think of it that way, but absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, she's a West Coast sort of, you know, I had to conjure my, uh, um, I had to work it or, or pay homage to being a Mexican woman, but the New Yorican Poet Society is definitely the Latinidad that happens on the East Coast mm-hmm. and, and the Bohemian legacy that I had yeah mm-hmm. absolutely Giselle we, we went off on a weird tangent no I know, it I wasn't it was all relevant I, and I just I saw the I saw the uh, the anybody remember the Christmas tree on East 4th Street 
No. The the, the um, <laughs> it was it wasn't a Christmas tree, but it was a reference in rent. It was a garden that was lit up, a sculpture, uh-huh. a lit up sculpture is a Christmas tree. Anyway, this was twenty plus years ago, so <laughs> it was made out of garbage. It was fantastic. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, well, I'm new new to the show. This is my first time ever doing the show, and I I uh, lost my mother when I was 14. Um, so I was raised by my by my father. So I really had to think about what if I had her during these teenage years because I remember I was uh, very upset growing up as a teenager, just frustrated because things that that I would need to talk to my mother about. I I didn't have her to talk with. So I would try to talk to my father and he would just, he just wouldn't understand how to communicate with me. Um, You mean your Cuban father? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love him. He's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Um, But I mean, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want (laughs) to talk about anything in detail because he's a wonderful father. Um, but you know, just males dealing with young teenager, teenage girls, you not, not easy. <laughs> that's that speaks for itself, though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember uh, we were not good with communication, and I wrote him a letter, and I said, "I'm an American woman, and I have rights," <laughs> and uh, and it was like, "This is not Cuba, and, and and we we all have to have responsibilities, not just the women." And I slid it under his door. <laughs> And then he wrote me a letter and slid it under my door, and he apologized for, like, telling me that because I was a woman I had to do these things. Because he was just going off of what he learned from Cuba, because he immigrated, you know, he was from Cuba. He left when Castro came into power, so that's kind of what he knew when he was growing up. Mm -hmm. It's not that he thought it was the only way it's just all that he knew so anyway um that was my way of communication and then we started to talk but um i remember just always being frustrated and and upset and and everything was so much was such a big deal i remember like if i couldn't go to a party i would just cry in my room (laughs) and i just remember just sulking in my misery Mm -hmm. like i couldn't get over it and um and I just pulled from those memories, and I was like, "All right, well, this is Olivia. You know, she she's upset, and there's things that she's not talking about, and and it's obvious that she's not speaking with her father because he's allowing her to look the way she does. He's not addressing the fact that she's not showering daily, so he's really neglecting her in a way, mm-hmm. and which could cause even more frustration. So I used an as if and and went went with that and the writing is so beautiful and it's just such a gift as an actor um it makes everything just easy mm-hmm. because everything is written so well you know there's something um the fact that he slid this letter under the door like there's That's this amazing <laughs> there's this this desire this willingness at least this respect and civility and uh, to to communicate you know which is something that happens um i think rarely nowadays um but yeah like we have more reasons not to 
communicate than we do too and i don't the thing that i i feel so wonderfully about this piece is that we we dig deep and and do the work to change ourselves mm-hmm. and be willing to take the other one in um, but what i love what i love most about your character is that yeah you messed up but you don't allow that to affect the present nor the future and you do everything that you need to do to make things right and i feel like that's such an important thing for a parent you know knowing just to know that you there is a hope there is a chance to make things better if you messed up as a parent you don't give up and if you did give up for a certain amount of time now is still now and you can still talk to your kid you can still apologize you can still humble yourself this what we're saying sound completely like another another no, sounds, being another no, it beast sounds right to me i mean yeah. the thing is is like i've i've definitely heard people describe Beatriz as a bad mom you know quote unquote bad mom and and i just disagree with that 100% um because of all these things that we were talking about 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 both of you know Olivia and Beatriz's like ability to listen to be um able to uh look at the past but not dwell on it Do you the know more, what i mean the more i well yeah 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 i mean uh, people need to be it doesn't talk about why you know people would like to be spoon-fed details about why i didn't show up you know and it's like in the absence of that i've become right. a bad yeah, mom they, Exactly. They collapse. It, a I, very... need to, I need to advocate for myself. I don't know if another if a guy would have to do as much work. Mm-hmm. No, um, you're right. A guy mm-hmm. would not. Uh, yeah. Not. So, so that's interesting. It's very enlightening. Um, but yeah, people hate me. <laughs> no. <laughs> Some of them, they're like she's too lovable to hate. Some of them is, like... is an imperfect human, but that's all human. She represents real a real person. Someone who's flawed. Yeah, I just Everyone's you know flawed. when every when 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 I feel like people call her flawed, me flawed. It's like this is as real a character as I have ever not only played but read or seen on stage really ever. I mean, ever. The only like I think of Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Like he was fucking committed. You know, like he was committed to an insane asylum yeah. and you learned to love him. And, and Beatriz ain't that, though, you know, <laughs> it's no, like I have again, to like, tell you exactly why things happened. Why it was um, so important for us. Like she's not mentally ill. Like no. she's, not mental, she's not mentally ill. She's there's like nothing pathological wrong with her. There's nothing wrong with her. Period. She's who she is, period. Yeah. And um, to me, like. A bad mom doesn't show up uh, in the morning and say, like, come with me. A bad mom doesn't, like, express all the love and care that she's expressing in her own personal way. So I, I just find I just find that frustrating that, um, yeah, people reduce something to an irrelevant stereotype. Well, that's normal. I mean, when people see something that makes them uncomfortable, something that's not normal, that's, you know, they, they get upset. 
and they they find a negative a negative aspect to it. I have to say though, in people's defense, it's like, well, where you been, Beatrice? <laughs> where you been for the past four years? Do you know? Yeah, that and part, it's like, that's part of the story too. Yeah. But she, but but Beatrice took care of herself because she needed to take care of herself in order to take care of her child. Um, there are mothers out there who don't take care of themselves, who who suffer. Th- from depression and their kids see that while they raise them you know and they don't do anything about it yeah they perpetuate the legacy yeah <laughs> but but Beatrice she she realized that she was she needed some some deep fixing up and she did what she needed to do to get better and as far as I'm concerned I mean we don't talk about how many times I actually tried to get in touch with you yeah. you know who knows I mean, how many that's times that's what I tried to fill it my dad was like didn't pick up the phone or ignored the call hello <laughs> oh Kurt <laughs> well Erin Erin before you run away from us into the woods of Massachusetts um, I, I want to talk about the wonderful music in the show uh, yes billboards isn't Let's it talk nice about <laughs> imagine talking about music at Billboard. Uh, <laughs> so, um, first of all, I there's such a variety of kinds of songs in the show. There are songs that have that kind of classic expository Broadway format um, and talking about what the character wants and feels. And then there are others that almost feel just kind of like thinking out loud a bit, like a little stream of consciousness, like the Tamale song, which I really enjoy. One of my favorites. Yay! <laughs> um, so, Erin... Why don't you start and just tell us a little bit about, you know, what what you were listening to, what was kind of, because there are so many styles that I hear in the music, um, what kind of influence putting these songs together? Well, I think that that was um, partly why Kiara sought me out. Um, if, you know, uh, I've made a lot of records before I made this show, and um, they're all very different, and they all work in, like, all kinds of different styles and um, genres, and that's just that's just my own taste and my own curiosity showing through. But also, it's philosophical in the sense that, like, I just, I don't think... I've been saying this for 20 years, and it used to be like, I don't think anyone has, you know, just one CD in their CD collection, and then it used to be, I don't think anyone has one kind of music in their iPod and now it's like I don't think anyone streams the one kind of music so that's just something that I philosophically have been down with for a long time and I think that was part of what Kiara was thinking when she was you know trying to find a partner in this project because I remember saying to her early on when when she was telling me about this idea and gave me the show to read I remember saying to her like I am not comfortable um, or capable of writing quote-unquote authentic Latin music like Hmm. like I, I just I don't I don't do that I don't want to try to do that that doesn't feel right to me um so if that's what you're looking for you should talk to somebody else and um and and she was like that's actually not what I'm looking for I really think you know uh, the music of this show needs to reflect the music that all kinds of people listen to in America it might you know want to feel like flipping through um the radio station dials when you're driving and you hear a bunch of different kind of things and all of that exists on the airwaves in America. And so that was my way in. I was like, oh, I, I'm totally down with that. So there are Latin elements in the show um, and there are um, even like specific uh, mm-hmm. within, like as as Daphne was talking about, Latina dad, like, like within the range of things that... Um, that are part of Latin culture. Um, but, you know, there's also all this other stuff that uh, I, I find really exciting. And, and we were really careful that, like, just because um, I especially think about this with Beatriz, but I, I just think, like, she loves Elton John. 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah. There was an iteration you know, where I, I like, yeah. sang... Uh, purple, pur- purple haze. Purple haze. Didn't I? Sure, Led Zeppelin, Elton John. I love but then Zeppelin, she also rock and roll. Rock yeah, and roll, then man. she also likes the you know Mexican folk music that she heard I growing like up, so and then also the like border music. And, yes, like all of that stuff. Like there exists are. In her. I heard a lot of kind of folkloric Mexican sounds in yeah. some of the songs. Sure, like that felt right to put those references in there. But in terms of like a a vision for the score what felt more right was that all kinds of folks live in this country and they listen to all kinds of music and it doesn't map like one-to-one with their ethnicity or even where they grew up um and i just find that to to be real to um the experience of people in this country so so that was the, the vision for it and then you know we just went song by song person by person moment by moment um trading playlists back and forth having conversations of like what kind of song would it be that'd be so fun like okay we're going to Yellowstone like what kind of song should happen in Yellowstone you know and we arrive at a place where we're like oh slow jam yes exactly (laughs) the Yellowstone slow jam is pretty sweet yeah like (laughs) I think Prince belongs in Yellowstone just as much as like John Fogarty or something (laughs) you know what I mean yes I mean I hadn't I hadn't thought about it until you're just kind of talking about this but it is a bit like what it's like when you're on a road trip and you're kind of dialing through the radio and you're you almost are sort of stuck with listening to whatever there is in the state that you're in and it may not be what you like or what you're used to but you hear what people are into there um and it really does give you a sense of the variety of american sounds you know and the thing that i think connects all of them like compositionally if you could point to one thing that is like uh, the same in all the songs in the score or what a theme of the score might be would be motion and rhythm Mm -hmm. Um, those things are really really important to me and um, they're in every song and um, they're done in different ways in every song so in in Yellowstone it's like the little groove that's like finger snaps and breaths Mm -hmm. Um, and in Lioness it's like a drum kit just rolling through all the metal objects that (laughs) the drummer can think of or like the dirtiest deed it's a New Orleans parade rhythm Um, and then you get to a song like Tamales and the rhythm is in the guitar and the the way the guitar repeats as if it were a drum Mm -hmm. beat um, and then you get, you know, you get to the very end of the show in the epilogue music. And that's that's where all the genre is stripped away. That's where all the references are stripped away. And it's just like a, like a, mm, 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 that kind of feeling of like we are moving forward. Mm-hmm. No. And I and I think it all I think it all really culminates for me in the in the Miss You Like Hell number, which is like a complete um, out of nowhere showstopper kind of mm-hmm. um, and uh, it that just really felt like where it all kind of coheres and everything that came before kind of makes sense in a way yeah I, I will never forget writing that I mean I, I don't know that this is a story I've ever told but um, uh, Kiara knows it but but um, you know every time I hear that song I, I think back to being at my piano and writing those chords and, and singing those words for the first time and just sort of like like banging my head on the piano like head banging to it do you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. like just over and over again there's a hole in the world in the shape of us and the shape of us again and again like just that that mm-hmm. sort of um, <laughs> feeling of it and um, that every time I hear it I think of that and and then I, I remember sending the demo to Kiara and being like, this is my case for calling the musical Miss You Like Hell. Because it was called something else <laughs> up to up to that point. We had a, a number of titles for it. Um, but 
the theme of Miss You Like Hell was there, and I was like, if I write a song called Miss You Like Hell, and if it's good enough, she is going to have to name the musical Miss You Like Hell. <laughs> it worked. Yay. It worked. It totally worked. <laughs> wow. It worked. But of course, this is how Kiara and I work, too, which is that it's from a quote that Kiara found. It's a, from an Edna St. Vincent Millay right. quote. Um, there's a, a series of letters that she wrote, um, I believe in the late 40s, that are collected in a book. And in one of them, she says, where you used to be, there is a hole in the world. And at night, I wander around in it. I miss you like hell. And um, and that was sort of our guiding principle, our epigraph for the longest time, is thinking about that hole in the world. That image comes up many times in the show. Mm-hmm. And that wandering around in it at night, I miss you like hell. Mm. And... Um, and that phrase, you know, now once we decided that's what the show was called, we we buried it in a few other places in the show just to just to give some continuity to it. But but um, that's so, so that song is like, you know, we reverse engineered the show backwards from that song in some ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Giselle and Daphne, you, you both have done shows in the past that I would not call traditional Broadway shows or that are more grounded in contemporary music. But what for you especially stands out about the songs in the show? Well, for me, <clears throat> excuse me, the diversity of styles in the show. Um, it's interesting how it goes against people wanting to define it. People are so kind of kerfluffled about <laughs> defining what it is. So I kind of enjoy watching them try to do that. <laughs> um, I'm not succeeding. Well, you know, it's it's what it is and then um i just love singing the songs and um i think that one can pour oneself emotionally emotionally into a song and and move the 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 story forward (laughs) um the right i don't know i'm I'm still finding where to breathe in songs, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's always a puzzle to me, just I will tell you. yeah, I I find them they're they're like little labyrinths that you can uncrack, you know, certain codes if you breathe into it differently. Mm-hmm. Did you mean to do that, Erin? <laughs> I mean, I I um have I've certainly gotten criticized for this in the present and in the past, but I really really believe in simplicity. I and was like, going to say that. Any place there could be four chords, I am, I'm just like, there needs to be one. And that's just been my philosophy. It's a little, a little obstinate perhaps, but that's just been my philosophy forever. Like just cause I, to me, it comes back to simplicity creates the opportunity for what Daphne's talking about for a meditation on something, for an ability to see something from multiple sides. Mm-hmm. Like it just yeah. gives so much room yeah. and, um, and to be honest, like I find most music, maybe I'll get in trouble for this, but I don't care anymore. <laughs> I just like I, I just find most music in the theater to be completely like show offy. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. look look what notes I can do, look what chords I can do, yeah. look how I advance the plot. I'm like, you know what? Sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes it's nice to take a breath and sometimes it's nice to use one chord instead of four because it allows <laughs> these beautiful actors to find things every night and to put themselves in it. And like, I just, I want to give y'all the framework and then I want to get out of the way and, and you guys get to pray within that framework every night. I'm so glad you said that. I, said, I, I completely agree. That's what I was going to say. I, I'm obsessed with the simplicity of this, 
show when it comes to the music. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, as the actor, you don't have to do much. You just sing the notes and say the words and everything else just comes. And, and it's, it's quite beautiful and, and it's real. Nothing has to be forced, nothing has to be pushed. And every night can, can be a little different um, because, because the writing is so strong. But I just have to say one more thing. <clears throat> the strings, but the strings. There's a lot of strings. The strings are magic. And, you know, it's not a horn section and it's mm-hmm. not just straight up rock and roll. It's like which the maternal is, section. It's just, yeah, it's a, it's, <laughs> a, it's heaven, you know. For, it's, for me, it's the well, maternal it's, section. Yeah, it's mom section. I haven't thought There's of like, that I way mean, before. There's a more like, um, I mean, yes, that is all that is all true. Um, there's two things about the strings that I would say. I mean, one, they're the one instrument that's acoustic in the room. Everything else is sort of muted and shoved off stage to control the sound. So, so we really get to experience the strings like in a, a beautiful like one to one. It's experience. a but the strings though kind of musical, yes. you know. It's beautiful. And the other thing, honestly, I mean, the other thing is is that when I was, you know, I've I've never. I've never been able to afford to have a string section before, so I was like, we are having strings. There we go. Like, if you're going to give me this budget, I'm going to put strings in it, because I do... I didn't know that strings were especially expensive. But the strings, though. (laughs) But the strings, though, they tend to be the, the, you know, um, what's the bare minimum, you you know, the the idea... What's the bare minimum you can get by with is the is the general budgeting principle um, <laughs> when it comes to music in theater, and that's a that's a bummer. I mean, that's no different than singer songwriter world either, to be honest. But um, uh, you know, I, I made an argument for the size band that we have because of the breadth and scale. I think of the type of music that we are um, trying to represent, and and the strings are yes, they are the um, the lungs. They are the hair. They are the corporeal body that, um, you know, exists at the same time as all those electronic sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm 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 a French horn player, so I've always looked at the strings as something that outnumbers me. But uh, I, I feel like I have a new perspective now. The French horn. That's, a that's wonderful. Very particular. I it is. Love it's, that. it's extremely very particular. particular. Yes. Do you, Do you still play? You. Yeah, I try. I love that. Yeah. Me and my horn in my apartment <laughs> building during quiet hours. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're not during quiet hours. That's for the next. Uh, for the next podcast, the I, next. I will be performing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I feel like seeing the two of you in this uh, room we're in now, I feel like I know the answer to this question. But what was it like when the two of you met for the first time? Was it like immediate oh, chemistry? I was there. What no, I was there. It was good. I have to say, also, Giselle in like the last scene, like the outfit and the purple streaks like reminds me of someone else like yeah. 20 years ago very much. I mean, the, it was true. I said, oh my God, it's Mimi. <laughs> and I mean like so, so totally sincerely like that's what happens when 20 years pass. Like you get this, this, child that looks like me <laughs> I mean you know and it's child? it's funny because I mean you know your child she's my child right <laughs> um yeah it's just wonderful it's wonderful to have someone that looks like you <laughs> when you look like me you know? <laughs> I don't know how else to say it 
<laughs> it's um, it's it's a great, wonderful thing, and it's funny. I have to I have to out Kiara because she was like, "Oh my God, you're gonna love Giselle. She's like a living brat's doll." <laughs> How dare and, you? You know, I mean, in the most beautiful, fantastic way. I would never Giselle, say that is in like any kind hiding of... inside her shirt right now. I know, I know. That's hilarious. That's what moms do. They they really living embarrass you. Doll. Man, See, my head was my so big when doll. I was a kid. I, my head was like well, that's a whole other thing. Larger than my body growing up. So I totally relate pretty... to the Brad doll. <laughs> it's all it was I have amazing. a size extra large head. It's okay. I relate. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. It, it was pretty amazing when, when they met for the first time, I have to say, because it was at um, Joe's Pub when we were filming these videos, these sort of promotional videos. And um, and we, we you know, we cast Giselle because we were looking for, like, the best actor with the best voice who had, like, the most range. And that was Giselle. We did not cast her because she was mini me Daphne <laughs> you know what I mean she but then when we saw then when we saw you guys together for the first time we were like oh shit <laughs> like <laughs> it's right on so many other levels and then there's that yeah I know I was so nervous to meet Daphne cause like she's Daphne Ruben Vega like what what is what is life but but when I met her, she was so like she was like such a cool person. She's like, hey, what's up? Like, <laughs> how's it going? Like, oh, what's your name? Like, but it was so cool because I was like, oh man, I think I knew your name when I met you. You know what I mean? Though she's just like she's the cool girl on the block, and like I was like the nerdita, the nerd. Like, like I hope I'm cool enough, you know? No, and she know just made she made everybody well, not everybody. She made me feel relaxed she made me feel like I belonged there she didn't give me any kind of um, presence that made me feel like I should leave <laughs> uh, and she's she's one of the most humble people that I've I've ever worked with um, and even though she's a class clown I will say and I'm always like ugh, rolling my eyes when she does something goofy it's really I truly am in love with her we're in love with each other. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. The truth comes and I that. am a goofy mom. And I love it. And I and I aspire to to unleash my goofy side, you know, because I, I have that, but you know, it, it's Isn't it's it funny how roles get reversed? <laughs> and you know, if there's a goofy one there has to be like, you know, the, the one that's like, all right. The compliment. Yeah. Yes. Balance happens. The balance. Yeah. yeah. She she was she started out as a goof right away and I was like, All right, well, I gotta be the one to hold down the fort. <laughs> all right, all right. You guys are awesome. I love you. Oh, you have to, have to go. Yes, yes. Into I, the woods. I wish I didn't have to, and I'm sorry to not be able to stay on on the line and um, talk with you more. But Rebecca, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and. Daff and love GZ. you, Iraq. I'm gonna soon. miss you love like you. hell. We'll see you soon, though. <laughs> hey, you should call the musical that. Oh. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Light bulb. And still we're not done. Where the forest burns and then comes home. There are canyons where the river.
Miss You Like Hell is playing at the Public Theater in New York through May 13th. You can find more information about it at publictheater.org. Uh, if you're a fan of the Billboard on Broadway podcast, please subscribe on iTunes. Give us lots of nice stars and reviews. You can find me on Twitter at Rebecca Millsoff and on Instagram at YaDownWithRMM. You can use the hashtag Billboard on Broadway to tweet or post pictures or anything you like about the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm about to go on a short vacation, but after that, I'll be back. Thanks for listening. Bye.